what does becoming a record breaker require? How do we go further than anyone has gone before and leave a legacy of mastery? How do we push the limits of what's possible and elevate craft to the level of art? Bulgari's new podcast, Be Maestro, is answering these questions with a series of exclusive interviews. Together, we'll uncover the unique paths that extraordinary individuals forged when achieving the seemingly impossible. Each guest is a master in their field who has made a mark on time. Be Maestro, a Bulgari podcast inspired by the record-breaking spirit of the Octo Finissimo Watch Collection. Time stands still. You're listening to the Be Maestro podcast. Alyssa Carson is 20 years old. She dreams of being the first human to set foot on Mars. A student of astrobiology in Florida, she has been attending NASA internships since she was seven. A young girl of her time, she knows the road will be long, but she believes truly in her lucky star. Hi, my name is Alyssa Carson. I am currently 20 years old and a student studying astrobiology. However, I have aspirations of going to space one day. Buongiorno, Alyssa. How are you doing your astrobiology studies at the Florida Institute of Technology? All of my astrobiology studies have been really good. I have always loved space ever since I was younger, so now being able to study space and different sciences and how they apply to space is really interesting. I'm also super excited because I'm finally taking my first official astrobiology course next semester, so only good things to come. You always wanted to become an astronaut. Tell us your story from the very beginning. Eventually, uh, when I was seven, I went to space camp, and it was pretty much my, just the best weekend of my life. My, my version of exactly everything that I wanted to learn, everything I wanted to figure out. It taught me about space, the history of space. I got to see life-size rockets. So pretty much after that experience, I was pretty solidified that space was for me. Obviously, I've landed in the realm of astrobiology, but also continuing to build my resume. So whether that is scuba diving, skydiving, whether that taking courses, doing microgravity flights, testing spacesuits. No matter what it is, I've been getting my hands involved in the space industry. What does your daily life really consist of today? Every day is pretty different. Uh, it's not pretty consistent. So it definitely just kind of depends on what's going on. The most simple of my daily life would probably just be the typical college student, you know, going to classes, doing homework, stressing for exams, things like that. Every now and then, of course, I have a little bit of traveling here and there, whether that's stuff for space. Recently, I went up to Connecticut to do some underwater EVA simulations. So sometimes I'll have different research campaigns that I'll travel for. Sometimes I travel for speeches. Um, so typically it's schoolwork, hanging out with friends, traveling for space. Sometimes I'll have an extra space course here or there that I pick up on top of school. So always just depends on what's going on in the moment. What did you enjoy the most about all the space camps and academies you attended? When I was going to a lot of the space camps and different courses, I was just really fascinated in learning more. You know, that was the best part about it, especially since I was going to these different camps as a kid. I knew I had an interest in space, but it was always figuring out, okay, what about space? What did I want to do in space? Was I interested in the science, the robotics, the rockets? You know, what was it? So it was very interesting just to constantly be learning the different types of jobs that there are in the space industry because there truly are 
so many. And then of course all the hands-on stuff. You know, some of the amazing parts about going to space camp was that you could simulate the role of an astronaut and have a good time doing things like that. So definitely the hands-on things, which of course has now led me to be even more interested in doing research campaigns and pretty much anything hands-on. <laughs> what was the most difficult in those training camps? So uh, a lot of the training or research campaigns that I've gotten to do are all through uh, Project Possum. So they're a citizen science research organization. So it's pretty much a whole bunch of everyday people. We get together in our free time and do some really cool research and experiments. So with them, I was able to do like microgravity flights, water survival training, spacesuit testing, G-force training, and all of those, they all sound very complicated, but they're all pretty much just different simulations. So microgravity flight, we actually get to float so we actually fly in an airplane and feel what it's like to be weightless. Underwater survival stuff is learning how to escape from a vehicle. So for example, if you're an astronaut and your capsule comes back and crashes into the ocean, what do you do if something goes wrong? I'm learning about different spacesuits. So I've had the opportunity to do a good bit of those. Definitely one of the most difficult was the survival training just because it was very physical, very hands-on, and also you're wearing spacesuits which can be pretty hefty at moments. So doing like parachute drops with the spacesuit on, swimming with the spacesuit, crawling into a life raft with the spacesuit. You know, the spacesuit part definitely adds to the challenge. So that one, I learned a lot, but it was also the most physically and exhausting, I would say, which made it pretty challenging. Doing better with less. This is what we try to understand in this podcast. If you get a chance to fly to Mars, will you have to do better with less? I think that kind of wraps around a lot of what we do in space. You know, when we're in space, we only have so much, and there are a good bit of challenges that we may have to face, you know, experiments that we have to do, just different challenges that we might run into. And not only is it less, you know, it's what we have. There's no running to the store and getting something else. So um, space is definitely a good example of that because we have to do the absolute best that we can with what we're given, um, and in that situation. So so it's something that astronauts definitely have to be used to being resourceful and coming up with anything that we can on the spot. The trip to Mars will last six months. That's a long time. With the current engines that we plan on using, we do expect it to be about six months of the travel time to Mars, which is typically the stay up on the International Space Station. Luckily, with everything that will be going on those six months we will still have things to do so although it won't be you know the main objective of walking around on mars there's still things to do on the way there just because even traveling to mars we will be going through an area of space that no human has ever gone to before we'll definitely have some uh, different chores and things like that to keep us busy on the trip the astronauts who are on that six-month journey are definitely just going to be eager to actually get to mars and have that experience um, so that that might also help it go a little faster. You actually got your private pilot certificate at age 18. What do you enjoy most about flying? Yeah, so flying was something that I wasn't originally sold on doing. So, you know, by going to all the different camps and stuff, I had realized that I was super interested in, like, the science, and I figured out that that's what I would want to do professionally rather than become a pilot. However, I did want the pilot experience, so I decided in high school to start working on my pilot's license. And actually, the first time I flew, I absolutely hated it and decided I wasn't going to get my pilot's license because I didn't like it very much. 
I agreed to give it another shot and then you know I came back after the next lesson I was like oh it was so cool I learned you know how to do this and how to do that and it was honestly so much fun learning to fly you you can truly see yourself progress and like learn new things and slowly you know watching yourself you just gain more control over something as large as an airplane is actually insane being able to fly by yourself for the first time so I was really glad I stuck with it I had an absolute blast learning to fly um, and it was also really fun because after I did get my pilot's license at 18 I was then uh, able to fly by myself and fly family and friends so you know then I could bring my dad up in the airplane and you know scare him and even though everything was fine <laughs> what do you mean by scaring him there are a few things that we, you know, practice all the time in the airplane, like, you know, cutting the engine all the way off. And for me, that was normal. But for someone like my dad just writing, he was like, no, no, we should probably keep the engine on. So uh, it was fun to kind of mess with him a little bit. And what did you really dislike during your first flight? On my first flight, I really uh, was not a fan just because it was so out of my control. It's a very heavy piece of machinery that you have to operate and so everything was very like like tough and hard and um, very like rigid to control. And so I was definitely pretty uncomfortable. Also, small airplanes have a lot more turbulence. So in the air, you kind of bounce around a lot. You eventually kind of get used to it, but there is a lot of bouncing around. So it just seemed very just like all over the place and everything was just out of my control. I didn't feel like I was in control of the airplane, um, but definitely uh, slowly I gained more control and it definitely got better. Um, but yeah, that first time I was just like, so much stuff is just all over the place. I don't know what I'm doing, but yeah, it totally got better. If you get to fly to Mars, do you think it will also be bouncing around? I would definitely think that on the flight to Mars, it should be pretty smooth sailing. Um, one of the amazing parts about space is that there's really not a whole lot of forces going on up there. So um, there's not really like friction. So we can kind of just like thrust the engine in one direction and then we'll keep going that direction pretty much until we decide to do something else. So for the most part, it should be pretty smooth. Probably nothing at all like the little small airplane. <laughs> Who inspires you in the space industry? There were one female astronaut in particular that really stuck out for me. Um, her name was Sandra Magnus. She was a female uh, shuttle astronaut, and I actually met her at kind of like this science fair event that we had going on that I went to, and she was the main speaker. She talked about her journey, but eventually later on I went and asked her, you know, when she decided to become an astronaut, and she told me the story that she was around nine or so when she got interested, but the main thing that she taught me was that it didn't matter the age that I had decided that I wanted to be an astronaut. If it was something that I wanted to do, I could put in the hard work and turn it into a reality. And so she really made me realize that even though I was super young at the time, if this is what I wanted to do, I should still keep working at it and I should still go for it because it can become a reality. Do you get to see space shuttle launches sometimes? Yeah, being able to see space shuttle launches when I was younger was really awesome. And now that I'm on the Space Coast, I see launches all the time. It's crazy. I can walk out my apartment door now and you'll have SpaceX sending up a satellite. You'll have um, SpaceX launches or really anything going on over there. So I'm definitely now in the hot spot where I can see what all is happening. But it's really weird. You can be walking the dog at like 6 a.m. and all of a sudden the sky will light up with a rocket going to space. So. It's pretty cool. Do you have the time to have a normal student life? 
I definitely think that I have a normal life as well. I've always tried to keep my life pretty balanced. You know, I say that if I was only talking about space all day, every day, I might be bored of it, but you know, I have the good balance between, you know, talking about space and doing other things as well. You know, growing up when I was younger, yeah, I was interested in space, but I was also playing uh, piano and doing ballet and playing competitive soccer and, you know, involved in all these clubs and hanging out with friends. And so I kept that balance. Could you tell us a little bit about the fantastic story involving Soyuz and Apollo in 1975? You know, when we were first starting to send people to space, it was, you know, a space race and um, there was so much going on. And we now have such a well-established International Space Station that is such a site of so much collaboration between different space agencies. For a while, we were only using Soyuz to get to the International Space Station until we had SpaceX. Um, yeah, I'm just really excited to see the partnership and collaboration in space continue to grow even stronger. Would you say an astronaut should wear a watch or not? I would definitely say that an astronaut has to wear a watch. Um, definitely time is pretty important in space. A lot of things is timed out and a lot of things in space have to be pretty precise. So astronauts definitely have to keep a time. Um, astronauts typically stick to one time so although for example like the International Space Station they are going around the entire earth every 90 minutes so they obviously can't change time zones every few minutes so they have a general time that they stick to and it's really important that they stick to it also astronauts live pretty on schedule so each individual astronaut has a schedule of when they're sleeping when they're working and all of that so to keep up with all those times and demands I would definitely say they would need a watch what feats do you secretly want to accomplish in the future? I definitely think making it a little bit higher up in the atmosphere is like one of my next goals. Um, just because, you know, I've done, you know, the microgravity flights and things like that. So, you know, get edging my way a little closer to space here and there would definitely be the next step, I think. If you have the chance to be the first human being to walk on the Martian soil, what would you say? I am the first human being or the first woman to walk out there? I uh, would probably say um, human being. I mean, that sounds pretty cool to me. And <laughs> just to be like the first human to ever go to Mars. Um, I mean, that to me sounds like a pretty good claim to keep. So if that, if that is, the, is the opportunity I get, that would be pretty awesome. Is not being an astronaut an option? I uh, would definitely say that it is just because the, the astronaut selection process is very intense. Um, there's a lot of people that apply and you can almost ask any astronaut. For the most part, they do not get selected their first time around. Um, so typically they have the want to keep applying and keep applying and keep going. So obviously the chances out there that I do not get selected, but in my opinion, one of the amazing things about wanting to be an astronaut is that you have to have a job to apply as an astronaut. Do you have the feeling another life is possible in space? The universe is so, so big that there almost has to be something somewhere. Um, some form of intelligent life, some form of bacterial life, something else out there. You know, whether how close that life is to us, I'm not sure. Um, you know, currently we have a rover on Mars that is looking for signs of bacterial life because there is the possibility that there could be some kind of bacterial life on the surface of Mars. Obviously, bacterial life is very different than 
than, you know, intelligent life. Um, I don't think that there's any like green men walking around on Mars, but <laughs> I think the chance of bacteria uh, is there. So I think we'll continue to look for it and it's going to be super interesting to find something someday. You are not only a private pilot, you are not only a student, you are not only a space enthusiast, you are also an influencer. What do you like about that? Um, I would definitely say that it has been super enjoyable for the fact that I've been able to connect with so many kids all over the world. And I think that's where the biggest impact is, is really on the next generation. And then also encouraging kids that they, if they have an interest in space or science, then they can still achieve their dreams, you know? And really showing kids the way to go about it has been really interesting. Just because I know from my experience, what I did to go about the idea of becoming an astronaut was definitely unique in terms of keeping the idea of an astronaut ever since I was young and not giving up on it. And so I want to be able to share that with as many of the next generation as possible so that way they truly are achieving their own dreams. Is the nickname NASA Blueberry only for social media? Blueberry is technically my call sign, and a call sign is kind of like a nickname, but it has to be given to you. I got Blueberry because the second time that I went to space camp, and at this point I was probably around eight or so, I wanted one of the blue flight suits that I saw everyone wearing because I wanted to be an astronaut, so I wanted to dress like one. But I was too small for any of the actual flight suits, so my dad ended up finding basically like a knockoff one, and it was just a very dark shade of blue, didn't really match anyone else, so everyone started calling me Blueberry. You've been listening to Be Maestro, the Bulgari original podcast. Join us in our next episode to unveil the secrets of those who make their mark on time. Ciao a tutti.